guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks guys, now enjoy the show. Welcome to Mimosa Sisterhood, a podcast that celebrates women. Hello friends, welcome back to the podcast. This is Melissa and you're listening to Mimosa Sisterhood where we pop bottles and celebrate women's stories. First of all, I am so sorry that this episode is coming so late in the year. I had every intention to release this episode towards the end of January and now here we are in the second week of February and I'm only now bringing you episode number two of 2022. And that is just not okay and not up to par. But I will say, I work so, so, so hard to bring you guys the best audio quality in all of my episodes. And sometimes that involves taking a lot of extra time to listen to these things 10,000 times to make sure the sound is good. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and I hope that it is pleasurable to your ear holes. On that note, we are talking about two of the most iconic legendary queens of comedy. And better yet, we have none other than the amazing, the beautiful, the fantastic Ricky Bell joining me on the mic to tell these amazing stories. And you guys know Ricky. She's been on the podcast several times before. She was one of our longtime listeners who evolved into one of our reoccurring guest hosts, which is just like the coolest thing ever. I just want to say, if you are somebody out there who has been listening to this podcast over the past few years, and you've always wondered what it would be like to be on the other side of the podcast, and you have women up your sleeve whose stories you'd love to tell, hit me up. I really want to hear from you. Send me a DM, email me, hello at mimosasisterhood.com. I would love to meet you. And I want to know what you think of the podcast. And to be honest, your feedback is so unbelievably valuable, especially if you're a longtime listener. So I would love to connect with you. I'd love to hear your thoughts about the show. And if you have any interest in coming on as a guest and telling a story about a woman in history, we got a spot waiting for you over here in podcast land. So hit your girl up. Lastly, If any of you are out there right now listening to this podcast on the Spotify platform, which like it might be few and far in between since they're like low key in the shitter right now. But if there are some of you out there who are on the Spotify app right now, I would love you more than ever if you could leave us a podcast review on that platform. Spotify just recently released ratings for podcasts. It never existed in the past. Now it exists. I only have a whopping 11 stars. They're all five stars, but there's only 11 of them. So I would love to boost that quantity of ratings because we need to be popping off on all the podcast players out there, not just Apple Podcasts, Spotify too. So if you haven't left me a rating yet, it would mean the absolute world if you could do that for me. Let's get into the episode. Let's do this. It's a great one. Grab your alcoholic beverage and I'll see you on the other side.
Ricky, welcome back to the podcast. Mimosa Sisterhood's number one fan is back on the mic. Woo! Girl, it's been too long. It really has. I actually cannot remember when we recorded last. Me neither. I don't even know who I covered the last time. I don't know either. I have no idea. That's fucked up. In fact, I won't get past it. I must look. Let's see. <laughs> who was it? Who was it? I feel like we did another... Um, we did. We did Women of Pride and Juneteenth. Ruth Charlotte oh. Ellis and Sojourner Truth. In yes. June. Oh my god. In June. Well, welcome back. Everybody should know who you are by now unless they're a brand new listener. But Ricky started off as just a fan of the show, a listener of the show, and fast forward, I don't even know how long, she's now been a guest for like four episodes, so yeah. she has her own mic, like it's just legit, um, and yeah, it, it happened, it just happened, it was a calling, it was meant to be, so. It was meant to be. You're back, and Ricky and I have one major thing in common for 2022, we both just got Rona. <laughs> In fact, Ricky is hardly recovering. Truly. I have tested, retested, and retested again. This is the third time yesterday. Uh, positive. <laughs> so you aren't going back to school, right? Uh, no, not tomorrow. I'm going to retest yeah. again tomorrow. Because tomorrow will be 10 days. So we'll see. Are you still having like symptoms? Any like major standouts for you? The fatigue and the brain fog are the worst, and mm. the congestion is so bad. I still have a stuffed nose, and it's been 23 days since I tested positive. Oh it won't God. go away. And Ooh. my boyfriend still coughs like crazy, and that's not going away. And I also have not gotten my smell back, which Stop. is really fucking with me. And yeah, it's kind of lame. <sighs> I just have reached my wit's end. I have not left my house. I I just have a story for you. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> so Saturday, wait, was yesterday Saturday? Yes. Yes. Friday, a week with COVID. I'm like, oh my gosh. First of all, my appetite has been crazy. I've lost like three or four pounds. And so I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the only thing that sounded good to me was a damn sweet potato. And I was like, I, I don't know why, but give me a sweet potato. That is a very special craving. Yeah. Like not even sweet potato fries. No, like it has to have like the honey butter and like the brown sugar, but like give me the sweet potato. So I was like, who has the best sweet potato around? Outback, right? So I ordered the DoorDash. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this sweet potato is going to be so good. I Okay, I ordered steak too. But like, my main objective was the sweet potato. So the delivery comes after like an hour and a half because it was so long and I was getting mad. I open it. There's no fucking sweet potato. <sighs> Melissa, I was unhinged. I started <laughs> sobbing. <laughs> Did you like raise hell in like Grubhub or DoorDash, whatever it was? First of all, I called out back because <laughs> they were the ones that left out the sweet potato. <laughs> and the man was like, ma'am, I 
there's nothing we can do. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you're going to have to call DoorDash. He stole your sweet potato? Yes. <laughs> he stole my sweet potato unless the driver ate my damn sweet potato and left the damn butter. I was like, how are you going to pack the butter but not the sweet potato? That is weird. You know what he might have done? He might have, like, been walking to your door and, like, tripped and ate shit and the sweet potato went flying across the floor. I'm going outside to check the lawn. And he was probably just like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Just drop it off and run away. I don't know. But I was devastated because that was the only thing I wanted. I ate three bites of the steak. I cried. And then I just decided to eat Oreos and went to bed. Okay, I have a really hysterical and also embarrassing story to tell you oh i'm ready okay so i had been having covid for a week and i actually was feeling better i lost my smell and taste 10 days after the fact it didn't come till later i didn't it didn't happen to me immediately it happened like week two so the way that i discovered that i had lost my smell i was in my bedroom on my phone before bedtime like i don't know TikToking or some shit I was laying there and my boyfriend was still upstairs where our living room is at playing video games wherever he does. I'm laying in bed and I just like ripped the massive fart. Like I like ripped ass. Like I'm not even lying. I ripped ass. And I was thinking to myself like, oh shit, that was like hardcore. I should probably like open the window so that he doesn't like come down and like be like, bitch, you just ripped ass in the bedroom. So I was like thinking to myself like, oh fuck, I better like air it out before he gets down here. But then I was thinking, like, oh, shit, that fart doesn't even smell. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so I didn't open the window. So I'm just hanging out in the bedroom, like, minding my own beeswax, like, ripping farts. Like, it's, like, going out of style. And, like, really proud of myself that, like, I'm in the clear. No one's going to know shit. Until he comes downstairs. He's like, what the fuck he died? Into the bedroom. And he's like, babe, are you ripping farts? I can smell them halfway down the hallway. And I was like, uh, <laughs> uh, what? What do you mean? No. No. Stop. not. Apparently, they actually really smelled. <laughs> and I'd been lighting up the entire downstairs house. The whole bottom floor of the apartment. I had no idea. And in that moment, I was like, oh, my God, I can't smell anything. Oh, my gosh. That's so embarrassing. (laughs) I'm so embarrassed for you. It was horrifying, but also the funniest thing on earth. No, that's so funny. (laughs) Jesus, what did you eat? (laughs) No idea. I think we're eating like lentil soup or something. (laughs) See, that's it. That's it. It's All that fiber, guys. The fucking lentils. Yeah. So that's how I lost my taste and smell. And then I immediately was like, oh, my God, I need to start smelling everything in the house. And then I couldn't smell any of my candles, any of my bubble bath. And was like, We've, I fucking lost my smell. But yeah, 2022, off with a bang. We're kicking <laughs> yeah. ass over here, taking yes. names. Literally. just Crying over sweet potatoes, ripping up the house with farts. Like, you know, we're doing our best here. We're doing our best. It's it's not looking good. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, 
I'm better for my Rona, so I've been drinking some bubbly. I um, That looks good. What is it? Okay, so yes, I need to tell you all about it. So my mom gave me this for Christmas, this bottle, Rondelle. Oh. I don't know like how snazzy it is. It's knowing my mom, it's probably like a solid eight bucker. So just bottle of champagne. But the real treat was this like concoction she created that goes in the champagne. Mm, what is it? They call it like a cranberry liqueur to go into your champagne cocktail. And it's made, she made this from scratch. It's a cup of water, two cups of granulated sugar, two cups of fresh cranberries, three tablespoons of fresh squeezed orange juice, one teaspoon of grated orange rind, and two cups of vodka. Oh. And you like boil it all up together, mash it up into like a jam. But then you take the whole thing. And, like, pour it into one of those cheesecloths so, like, you get all the, like, leftover rind and you just, like, are left with the the liquid, I guess. And then that made this. And it goes in your champagne. Yum. And it's very good. So that looks so good. Well, I say we hop to it because today's episode is about to be popping the fuck off. Oh, it's going to be so good. I don't know who you're covering, but my lady is huge. Well, I'll tell you this. Your lady is huge. I want you to go first because this is a very relevant story that people want to hear. Okay. I will tell you who I'm doing shortly, but why don't you introduce everybody who you've got today? Perfect. Okay. Maybe since I was like 10, I've been obsessed with the Golden Girls. Obsessed. (laughs) Yes. And my favorite was actually Sophia. So Estelle Getty, the little one that was actually the youngest, Mm -hmm. like she was my Mm -hmm. favorite. So I named my dog after like all these things. Yeah. Little Sophia was named after Sophia Petrillo. That is so cute. So when Betty White died, actually, we were going to do a show together a while ago. I think the last one. And we decided that we wanted to do like the Juneteenth one. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, okay, never mind. Not doing Betty White. And so I saved her. Lost my notebook, and then you asked me if I wanted to <laughs> record, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do Betty White. So that's what I'm doing, Betty White. Yes. I'm so sad that she left us. I know. I'm super sad, too. But I mean, like, it's not like she didn't live her fucking best life. Girl, 99. <laughs> I'm just so mad that she was, a, like, two weeks away I know. from being 100. Like, I know. Ugh. But, but would you want to live to 100? No, I don't even want to live to 90. <laughs> like, what? I mean, I guess, like, once you're up in heaven and you're like, dang, I hit that one double zero, like, yeah. what's up? And, like, right. there's only, like, a handful of them in heaven. Like, yes, too. Like, right. uh, 100 gang. But, like, no. while you're alive and living on Earth right this second, to be like, I reached 100 years old, like, no like i can't imagine living 70 more years like are you kidding absolutely not i don't want to get old or if you're old you want to be old like somebody that's not that's like still functioning well like doesn't have dementia can like walk around the park exactly being a hundred and like hardly hanging on by a thread is terrifies me no yeah and like i don't want to be in an old folks home 
I don't want to, like, have to be fed and, like, have my diaper changed. Like, just let me vibe and, like, be mean to kids because that's my goal in life. (laughs) You're going to be the lady that has her finger out on the corner of the kids? Hit kids with brooms. (laughs) That's what I've always said. So, so anyway, (laughs) I'm covering Betty White today, and so I'll just start. Okay, so, born on January 17th, 1922, Betty Marion White uh, grew up as an only child to an electrical engineer and a homemaker. When she was two years old, her family moved to Los Angeles during the Great Depression. So, to make extra money, her dad built crystal radios and sold them wherever he could. Um, Since it was the height of the Depression and hardly anyone had an income, um, he would exchange the radios for other goods, like dogs, on some occasions. (laughs) Wait, he exchanged radios for dogs? Yeah. Like, like, as payment? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, would he have, like, hella dogs at home? I guess. And, like, I don't know. Who knows? They were crafty back then. Yeah, truly. Like, here's a dog. Let me fix your radio. I don't know. Um, so Betty attended Horace Mann Elementary School in Beverly Hills and graduated from Beverly Hills High School in 1939. Growing up, she was always interested in wildlife, um, and she initially wanted to be a forest ranger, but she was not able to because during this time, women were not allowed to serve as rangers. I was literally thinking that. I'm like, at this time period, I couldn't imagine there being a lot of women forest rangers out in the woods. So instead, she ended up pursuing a career in writing, which eventually led her to pursuing a career as an actress. Um, One month after graduating high school, she and a classmate sang songs on an experimental TV show because television was still being developed at this time. So, like, (laughs) can you imagine? what was it? So they, like, started acting on, like, a, a television show, but, like, they didn't know if it was going to work because television wasn't even a thing yet. So how were they doing it? I have no idea. Interesting. Okay. I mean, they were like preparing for the invention to come. Yeah. And they were like, yes. when it does happen, we're ready to rock. We're ready. So during this time, she also found work in modeling. And her first professional acting job was at the Bliss Hayden Little Theater. After the U.S. entered World War II in 1941, she volunteered for the American Women's Voluntary Services, where she drove a truck with military supplies to the Hollywood Hills. Oh, wow. Great. Um, She participated in a number of events for troops before they were sent overseas as well. So after the war was over, she made her way um, to multiple movie studios looking for work, but was turned down because she wasn't photogenic interesting betty white was stunning Mm-hmm. and so that led her to start looking for jobs on the radio like if if you don't look good you might as well sound good that's right art stories are really <laughs> matching up here they're Ooh. really matching up here i can't wait um so her first radio job included reading commercials and playing bit parts and sometimes doing crowd noises where she made five dollars a show Sometimes she would even sing shows and not be paid at all. I didn't know Betty White could sing. You know what, though? I think during this time period when women 
were in the entertainment industry, I feel like they did it all. They were like models, singers, actresses. They were like the full package. Yeah, or else like they weren't being used. So like might as well do it all. Mm -hmm. Um, So she was eventually offered her own radio show called The Betty White Show. um, And soon after began working in television. She, during this time, was previously married to a U.S. Armed Forces pilot named Dick Barker. But... In 1947, she ended up marrying another man named Lane Allen, um, who was a Hollywood talent agent, but they divorced in 1949 because he wanted a family and she wanted a career and not children. I, like, had heard about Betty White and her husbands. Yeah. There's a, there's a lineup of them, aren't yeah. there? There's there was three, <laughs> so there's one left. Okay. So, uh, in 1949, she started appearing as the co-host of a daily live variety show called Hollywood on Television. And in 1951, she was nominated for her first Emmy Award as Best Actress on Television, but didn't win. Like, dang, that escalated quickly. Yeah, it did. Um, in 1952, she started hosting a variety show alone after her co-hosts left. Um, and during this year, she was... She also co-founded the Bandy Productions Agency, um, and so the trio created the television comedy called Life with Elizabeth, where Betty portrayed the title character, and it went on to win her a Los Angeles Grammy Award that year. I always forget her name's Elizabeth. Like it's how Betty's. Not, oh, it's not. Yes. Okay, so that was something that also intrigued me, because her name is not Elizabeth. It's literally just Betty. Well, because Betty's normally short for Elizabeth, especially yes. during this time period. Yeah, but her name was literally just Betty. Hmm. So Life with Elizabeth was nationally syndicated from 1953 to 1955 and it allowed her to become one of few women in television with creative control in front and behind the camera. The show was unusual for a sitcom in the 1950s because it was co-produced and owned by a 28-year-old woman who still lived with her parents. <laughs> right? So fucking cool, though. From 1952 to 1954, she hosted and produced her own daily talk show and variety show, also called The Betty White Show. Like her sitcom, she had creative control over the series and was able to hire a female director. And in a first for American Variety Television, her show featured an African-American performer which faced a lot of criticism for the inclusion of the tap dancer Arthur Duncan as a regular cast member. So it was like, it kind of reminds me, I wish I had the dates for this, but like, I feel like around the same time Star Trek was a thing and Nichelle Nichols was having her like first on-screen kiss with this like white dude. And then now Betty White is doing, you know, bringing an African-American on her show and then my woman has another <gasps> big staple of a oh huge gosh. scandal that the public couldn't possibly bear. Shit was changing, though. I know. Shit was changing. Good. And it, it's like, it's it's so cool to kind of see when that happens and who are the, like, leaders behind it. Yes, exactly. Like, that's how you know she's a national treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, so local Southern stations threatened to boycott the show unless Duncan was removed from the series. And to this, Betty's response was, I'm sorry, live with it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and, sh- and she gave him more <laughs> airtime. Um, but by the end of the year, NBC canceled the series because of all of the, the backlash. 
lame. So, yeah, right? But to kind of flash forward just a little, actually a lot, but in 2017, 63 years after the show was canceled, Arthur Duncan appeared as a surprise guest on the series premiere of a reality talent series called Little Big Shots, Forever Young, and he performed and reunited with Betty White later and thanked her again for her support. Oh, that's so sweet. Right. So during this time, she struck up a friendship with Lucille Ball over their accomplishments um, in taking on a male-dominated television business of the 1950s. They relied on each other through divorce, illness, personal loss, and even competed against each other on various game shows. I guess back in the day, like, game shows were the move. Totally. I mean, even when we were, like, young kids, like, in the early 90s, game shows were still, like, the thing. And, like, Like, dating shows. Like, remember, like, Family Feud and, like, all these, like, uh, weird game shows were, like, a huge hit. I feel like I would kill it on Family Feud, though. You know what game show I really want to go on? What? The Amazing Race. Oh, no. I'm not running. <laughs> so, kudos to you. I'd wear a shirt that says, Go Melissa. That's it. That's all I got. Thank you, though. You're welcome. <laughs> So by the 1960s, she was a staple of network gaming shows and talk shows. Um, She was on Johnny Carson's The Tonight Show for a while and made a lot of appearances on a show called Password as a celebrity guest host from 1961 to 1975. So on June 14th, 1963, she married for the third and final time a man named Alan Luden. Um, who she met on his show, Password. He proposed to her twice before she accepted, um, and they didn't have any children together, but she was a stepmother to his three children that he had from previous marriage. He died from stomach cancer in 1981 in Los Angeles, and Betty never remarried. Um, She has been quoted as saying that Alan was the love of her life. Oh, that's horrible. And once... Larry King asked her about not wanting to remarry, and she said, once you've had the best, who needs the rest? No. I just love her. So she got offered an anchor job by NBC on their breakfast TV show, Today. The Today Show. The Today Show? Oh my god. But she turned it down because she didn't want to permanently move to New York City. Nice. Um, And so the job was eventually given to Barbara Walters. Oh, my God. I know. Isn't that crazy? Um, In 1973 and 1974, she made multiple appearances on the fourth season of the Mary Tyler Moore Show. And in the fifth season, she was made a regular character. I had no idea she was a Mary Tyler Moore. I did. That's like one of the, like, I mean, she has such an extensive career. I mean, this woman, like, there was a time where I was planning to cover Betty White. I went in and looked at her biography and was like, no, no, I'm going to have to keep putting this off because this is going to take me like weeks to like yes. ingest everything that she's done. Yes. I like, was we're like, hell no. in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. Like, nope. Gosh. Imagine. I just can't imagine. Um, following the end of the Mary Tyler Moore show, she was offered her own sitcom on CBS called The Betty White Show. <laughs> But the ratings were poor, and it was canceled after one season. 
1985, my girl scored her second signature role and the biggest hit of her career um, as Rose Nyland on The Golden Girls. Hells yeah! It's literally so cute. The series chronicled the lives of four widowed or divorced women in their golden years who shared a home in Miami. The show was immensely successful and ran from 1985 to 1992. And she won one Emmy Award for being on the show for Outstanding Actress in a Comedy Series. Nice. For the first season and was nominated in that category um, every year of the show's run. That's awesome. Hell yeah. Um, She was originally offered the role of Blanche. Can you imagine Betty White as Blanche? I need to, like, pull that up again, because I'm, like, Blanche is the promiscuous one. (laughs) (laughs) No. See, the minute you said it, this is who I was picturing. Yes. And she honestly is perfect for that role. Like, she just looks exactly like the woman who would play Blanche. Yes. Is anyone named Blanche anymore? (laughs) No. Isn't that a process of, like, cooking vegetables? You blanch them? Yeah. Yeah, no, I couldn't see Betty in this role at all. No, and so the lady who was sp- who was Blanche was supposed to be Rose. Like, they were supposed to switch. Oh, interesting. But because their roles were similar to roles that they had played before, because they were both on the Mary Tyler Moore show, uh-huh. the producer suggested that they switch. So when the Golden Girls ended in 1992, um, B. Arthur left, which is Dorothy, the big one that looks like a man. <laughs> <laughs> Betty, um, Rue McClanahan, and then um, Estelle Getty all came back as Rose, Blanche, and Sophia in a spinoff called The Golden Palace, which only lasted one season. After that ended, she guest starred on a number of television programs, including Suddenly, Suddenly Susan, The Practice, and Yes, Dear, where she received Emmy nominations for her individual appearances. She won an Emmy in 1996 for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Comedy Series. In 2006, she joined the soap opera The Bold and the Beautiful, where she made 22 appearances. Okay. Like, who knew? And then she had a recurring role in Boston Legal from 2005 to 2008. So, yeah, she's still rocking through the 2000s. Yes. Like. Wow. And she was born in 1922. Yes. She this is just a this was a working woman. This was like a work like she wanted to work. Yeah. Having the time of her life. Beginning in 2007, she was featured in a television commercial um, for Pet Med Express, which highlighted her interest in animal welfare. And in 2009, she starred in The Proposal with Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. And oh, yeah. That movie was so funny. Dude, I haven't seen that movie in years. I feel like I need to rewatch it because she was hilarious. I just specifically remember her, like, fixing a dress and telling Sandra Bullock that trying to find her boobs in the dress was like an Easter egg hunt. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um, so following the success of her Snickers advertisement, a campaign on Facebook was called Betty White to host SNL, please, began in January of 2010. The group was approaching 500,000 members when NBC Whoa. confirmed that in March of 2010 that she would host Saturday Night Live. 
That is so cool. Like, imagine having just the public out there, like, getting you business deals. Yes. Literally. That's amazing. Yeah. Half a million people saying, like, please, God, let Betty White host. At the time of her appearance, she was 88 years old, (laughs) which made her the oldest person to ever host the show. Oh, my God. I swear to God, if I'm 88 and the public is being like, get her more gigs, bitch. Like, that is, like, the biggest compliment on the fucking earth. Yes. 88. Like, wow. So... Her being on SNL earned her an Emmy Award for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Comedy Series. Um, In 2010, she began working on TV Land's sitcom Hot in Cleveland, where she played a housekeeper. Um, And she was only meant to appear in the pilot episode, but was asked to stay on for the entire series, which was six seasons and 128 episodes. And then she had a calendar put out in 2011. Imagine, like... A calendar just of Betty you White. in your eighties, yeah, or is she literally. in her nineties yet? She was eighty-eight. No, she's probably still around. Yeah, yeah, she's literally like eighty-nine, ninety. Oh my god! Yeah. So the calendar featured photos of her career with various animals, um, and she also launched a clothing line in July of twenty ten, which featured shirts with her face on them. Oh. Dude, that I'm such... telling you to be that's... rocking this hard in her 90s. That's such a grandma thing. Like, here's my face. And Play I thought you they sold like crazy. Oh, for sure. For sure. And all of the proceeds went to various animal charities that she supported. Oh, um, from 2010 or 2012 to 2014, she hosted an executive produced Betty White's off their rockers. Did you ever watch that show? No. <laughs> It was, like, this show where all of these old people used to prank, like, younger people (laughs) and used to do, like, practical jokes on them. And she got three Emmy nominations for that. Off your rocker? I don't even remember this. It was hilarious. I don't don't think it was on that long, but it was so funny. (laughs) I wonder where we could still... Oh, they have them all on uh, YouTube. You can watch them on YouTube. (laughs) Yeah, it was yes. a Lifetime show. Oh, my God, that's it's so, so funny. funny. Um, her success continued in 2012 with her first Grammy Award for spoken word recording for her bestseller, If You Ask Me. She also won the UCLA Jack Benny Award for comedy, which recognized her significant contribution to comedy and television. And on a television special called Betty White's 90th Birthday Party, um, it aired on NBC a day before her birthday in 2012, and it featured appearances from many stars from who she worked with over the years. And there's a nice little message in there from Barack Obama. Oh, wow. That's yeah. cool. On February 15th, 2015, she made her final appearance on SNL, where she attended the 40th anniversary special. I read online that she, like, was the, the first one at the after party and the last one to leave. God, sounds like me. <laughs> In 2019, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the first one to show up and the first one to leave. <laughs> I'm like, hey. And probably Irish ya. goodbye, too. Yeah. For- so you got the back door and no one Dippin'. knows. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> Uh, in 2019, she appeared on Toy Story 4, 
Um, and she was the voice for Bidey White, which was a toy tiger that was okay. named after her. She was the voice of the tiger? <laughs> yes. Oh, Bidey White? Bidey oh, White. Oh, my God. That Bidey is White. too much. Too oh, much. Oh, my God. That's um, hilarious. Right. And so that was the last thing that she did as, like, for her career. Um, on the morning of December 31st, 2021, Betty White died in her sleep um, in her home in Los Angeles from a stroke that she had on Christmas Day. She was 99. Oh, that is so sad. I also actually did not realize that she had her stroke on Christmas Day. Yeah. So sad. I wonder if anyone knew. I don't know. Because, like, my grandma had had a couple of strokes that, like, mm-hmm. none of us even knew about. Like, wow. we were, like, we didn't even have any clue she had one. But then, like, she had had, like, a big one later. And when they were, like, she was in the hospital, they determined that she'd been having them. Oh and gosh. we had, like, no idea. That's crazy. Yeah. She was just operating through life and, like, no one even knew. I just remember, like, looking at my phone on the 31st and being, like, no fucking way. Betty White did not die. Like, this is a joke. Um, when asked by James Lipton on the Inside the Actor Studio episode that she was on, if heaven were to exist, what would she want God to say when she walked through the pearly gates? She replied, come on in, Betty. Here's Alan. Oh, is that her husband? Her last yeah. husband? Oh, my yeah. God. That is, like, so sad. <laughs> it's so sad, but, like, it's also, like, one of, like, it's so happy, too, yeah. because you just pray to God that that is what happens when you go to heaven. I that, hope like, so. The people you've been dying to see again are there waiting for you at those doors. Right. And you know exactly. what? I've been, like, on TikTok, I randomly stumble across, like, all these, like, psychic witches because, like, the algorithm <laughs> knows me. And there's this girl on there who can like at least says that she can like speak to like spirits and people will come and like you know be like help me speak to my spirits or whatever and she told this story about how she was talking to this guy who was like I want to connect with like my people who have passed and like hear what they got to say and so she was with him and like connecting with the peoples of his past there was like his like aunt his old dog she like listed off all the like spirits that came forward for him which was like a variety of different people including his childhood pet and one of them basically and like i guess all the spirits or one of them i don't remember was like basically telling her like he's actually not well like he has there's something wrong with it like he'll be with us soon like, that's oh, what no. they were telling her. And she had to, like, tell him, like, I don't got the best <laughs> news for you, dude. Like, they're what? telling me, like, you about to be visiting them any day. And he, she told him that. And he goes, yeah, I know. I just found out, like, last week that I have, like, a chronic illness. And so that's why I'm here with you is because I wanted to, like, know who's going to be on the other side for me when I pass over. Oh, my God. Right? And, like, she had told him everybody who'd shown up, and it was, like, this lineup of people from his past, including his childhood pet. And I just thought, like, that is just, like, the sweetest thing ever. I don't want that shit in my algorithm, so (laughs) stop talking about it. (laughs) I do not want that shit popping up for me. Oh, my God. I would never sleep again. I know. Kind of eerie. Super eerie. But I still think that's great because, like, we think of death in our society as this tragic thing because it is. It is for everybody that lives on and has to, like, process it and grieve through it. But for the person that's passing, if that's really the celebration and the party and the introduction and the warm welcomings that you get 
or your loved ones the people you've been waiting for like if it's that's it, really yeah. what the afterlife is then like let's oh, go i can't wait there's so many people i want to see on the other I know, side so many so a few of betty white's accolades in her lifetime she was the only woman to have received an emmy in all performing comedic categories and also holds the record for longest span between emmy nominations for performances her first was in 1951 and her last was in 2014 which is a span of over 60 years damn yeah the american veterinary medical association awarded her with its humane award in 1987 for her charitable work with animals in september 20 of 2009 (laughs) The Screen Actors Guild announced plans to honor her with their their Lifetime Achievement Award. In February of 2010, the USDA Forest Service, along with Smokey Bear, made Betty White an honorary forest ranger, fulfilling oh, her lifelong uh, dream. Okay, I did not know where we were going with this when you mentioned <laughs> Smokey the Bear. I was like, I'm sorry, why is he showing up to the party? Like... Okay, it makes sense. Now, that is the cutest thing I've ever heard in my life. She finally became a forest that ranger. That is the cutest thing I have ever heard. Oh, my I God. Uh, I was about to be like, excuse me, Smokey. This right. is your time or place. Like, Get out. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, my God. So cute. In October of 2011, she was awarded an honorary degree. Um, and a white doctor's coat by Washington State University through their Veterinary Medical Association. In 2011, a poll conducted by Reuters in Ipsos revealed that white was considered the most popular and most trusted celebrity among Americans. Whoa. (laughs) That's amazing. In 2015, she got a Lifetime Achievement Daytime Emmy, and in 2017, after 70 years in the industry, she was invited to become a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. At age 95, this made her the oldest new member at the time. Wow. So she has all of those amazing accolades, but she was also a huge advocate for animal welfare, racial injustice, and LGBTQ rights. She worked with organizations including the LA Zoo Commission, the Morris Animal Foundation, African Wildlife Foundation, and Actors and Others for Animals. She was a member of the Board of Directors of the Greater Los Angeles Zoo Association since 1974, and she was a supporter and advocate of LGBTQ rights. Um, And she said that if a couple has been together all that time and they are a gay re- and there are gay relationships that are more solid than some heterosexual ones. I think it's fine if they want to get married. I don't know how people can be so anti something. Mind your own business, take care of your affairs, and don't worry about other people so much. Mind your own fucking business. <laughs> Dead ass. She's like she's not wrong. No, she's not wrong. Mind your fucking business. <laughs> It's so funny the way that, like, I don't know if it's the way the quote sounded or the way you communicated it, but that was hilarious. <laughs> so to end with two quotes, um, Betty has said, it's not a surprise. We knew it was coming. Make the most of it when talking about death. 
She said, so you may not be as fast on your feet and the image of you in the mirror may be a little disappointing, but if you are still functioning and not in pain, gratitude should be the name of the game. Absolutely. And then I had no idea that I would still be around at this point for one thing, but I'd be still privileged enough to still be here in this business. And it is such a privilege. And the bottom line, I think, to the television business is that unless you're a really bad egg, it's such it is such fun. It really is. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. That is so sweet. I just love her. So today I'm wearing my Golden Girls squad. I couldn't see. Okay, so I could see squad, but I couldn't yeah. see the illustration under the letters. I couldn't it's, tell who it was. It's the <laughs> it's Golden so Girls, cool. and they're wearing like leather jackets. It's so cool. It's so cute. I'm oh obsessed. my God, I love it. Oh, that was amazing. Like, I'm so happy you, you covered her because I told you I'd been like dreading like the research. It's insane. A few like standouts for me is like, and I don't know if maybe we'd find more information on this in different places, mm-hmm. but like, she seemed like she had such a happy, amazing life. I know she like married and divorced several times. I'm almost, like, wondering if, like, why she was so happy and healthy and lived such a prosperous life is because she, like, dropped those fools ASAP and was, like, on to the next or what? Like, because the woman I'm about to cover, I feel like she experienced a lot of more stress in her life because of her shitty-ass marriage that she never left. And so... I'm just like, I don't know. I because I, I feel like we learn a lot about Betty White's career, but I'm wondering, like, in the personal aspect, how was she like steamrolling through this career and so successful and having all these like other interpersonal things going on that have to have an impact? I mean, right. let's be real. And a d- divorce is a horrible, heavy thing for everybody. So I'm curious just like how that if it even did, like, impacted her at all. Because I feel like I've never heard much about that or learned much about it. No, me neither. And, like, everything I read, it kind of just breezed past her first two husbands. And I was like, (laughs) Alan was the love of her life. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess at that point... Doesn't even matter. Just Alan. Yeah. It's like, the past is the past for the other homies. And, like... I read a lot of things where people were like, I'm so glad that we celebrated her while she was alive instead of, like, once she died. I think everyone loved her so much that, like, she she knew. Totally. Yeah. Oh, it's so great. I'm so happy we you covered her and that we finally have her on the show. And RIP to Betty. I hope she's up there just shining like a diamond with her boothang, Alan. Yes. My favorite picture of her. She's like holding up her middle finger. That's the Betty White I know. <laughs> <laughs> I have a great one for you. As I mentioned earlier, I was thinking like, who the fuck could I possibly pair up with Betty White? She's a fucking icon. She is a queen of queens. She is a queen of comedy. She has made her impact and stamp in history in more ways than one. Acting, radio, movies, TV, all the things. And there's one other woman I'd had on my list that I haven't covered yet, who's also an icon, who's also made her stamp in history in all those same categories, and was the only woman that I felt could ever sit side by side with Betty White. And that, my friends, is Lucille Ball. Yes, I knew it. I'm so excited. <laughs> I've had her on my list forever, and I was just thinking all last week, who 
can even deserve the side seat to Betty White. Yeah. That's so crazy, especially since they were friends. Yes. I'm living. Yes. And their stories are similar in, like, career path, but there's a lot of heavier shit in Lucille's story, which I don't know if people know that much about. I don't. I definitely don't. So I'm ready. Okay, cool. So Lucille was born in Jamestown, New York on August 6, 1911. So she was 10 years younger than Miss Betty White to parents Henry and Dee Dee Ball. Her family had belonged to a Baptist church, and actually some of her earliest ancestors were among the very first settlers in the 13 colonies. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so she was like an OG on America. Um, (laughs) But um, her family moved around a lot. So she was born in New York, Jamestown, but they moved around a lot because her father had this job working with telephones. And so he was constantly having to like go from different state to state. So throughout her childhood, she lived in New York, Montana, New Jersey, and Michigan. And so while she was in Michigan, one of the states that her family lived or moved to, uh, she was there in 1915, so just a couple of years after she was born, her father died of typhoid fever. Jesus. He was only 27. (gasps) So a young dad and died young, which is so sad and so tragic. So Lucy was only three years old when he passed away. And at the time of his death, her mom, Dee Dee, was pregnant with her second child. That's so, so not sad. good. Not fucking good. So her mom had a dead husband, a three-year-old child, and a baby on the way. Not the best of scenarios. And Lucy does remember some details from the day that her dad died. She was only three years old, but... There are things that she remembered, and she was quoted to say that, I do remember everything that happened. I was hanging out by the window, begging to play with the kids next door who had measles. The doctor was coming. My mother was weeping. And I remember that a bird flew through the window, and a picture fell off the wall. And that (laughs) is her biggest memory from the day that her dad died, which I feel like is, like, all these, like, action things that are happening. Like, like, just think of, like, what she said. Like, I imagine just being this little kid and being like, I want to play with the kids, but they have measles. This fucking bird just flew through our house and knocked down the picture. There's a weird doctor here and my mom's crying. Like, all this, like, chaos, you know? That's so much. It's so much. In fact... That bird that flew through the window made a really huge impact on that day because it literally caused her to have a lifelong ornithophobia, which is a fear of birds. Oh, my God. So I feel like a therapist, psychologist could unpack that a lot better. But obviously, like, that bird is, like, attached to her dad's death. And then it, like, caused her to have fear of birds forever. God. Yeah, gnarly. So already off to a rough start at the riping age of three. Um, Yeah, not good. And so after her dad died, her family moved back to New York where they were from in Jamestown. And Lucy's 
maternal grandparents ended up like stepping in to help raise the kids. So this was like a good time, actually, because now at this point, her brother, her baby brother was born and Lucy and her baby brother would often go off to spend time or extended periods of time with the mom's parents or grandparents. And they lived on or by this like resort town near Jamestown, New York. It was called like Lake Chautauqua or something like that. Only a few miles away from where they had lived. So I think they like kind of had this fun like getaway where it'd be like we're off to grandma's and they got to go live by this lake. And I guess there was this like popular amusement park in the area and there was a big boardwalk that had like games and like a slide and like a lot of fun stuff. And also... It had one of those uh, vaudeville acts with a stage. So you got to like watch like entertainment and comedy or whatever it was. So potentially one of the first bits of exposure that she got to an entertaining lifestyle or, or entertainment in general. So she loved spending time at the grandparents' house. And then her mom, Dee Dee, ended up remarrying a man named Edward Peterson and kind of a weird dude to say the least. Weird dude, weird family, weirdness. And so there's a little bit of like conflicting. I, I read multiple accounts that were different. There's one story that describes her mom marrying this man, Edward Peterson, and him being this dude who like didn't like kids, wasn't that down to be a dad, was like kind of bummed out that she had two very young children. And, like, he basically convinced her to, like, move off to Detroit and they were going to, like, just go out there and, like, be a couple and, like, live. And while they were doing that, the two children, Lucy and her brother, were going to live with his parents. What? So there's potential that she, like, low-key abandoned her kids and, like, ran off with the stepdad and left her kids with his psychotic parents who Ooh. were puritanical Swedes they're like Swedish and like into the Puritan shit. Stop. And they literally like were the type of people that were didn't have any mirrors in their house because it was like a crime to look at yourself. And they only actually had one which was in the bathroom, like above the bathroom sink. And whenever like Lucy was caught looking into the mirror, the like grandmother would like cuss her out and like chastise her and rip her a new one for being like a vain person, you know? So that was like the environment of which Lucy and her brother had to like live in for a long period of time. And it like it really fucked her up. Like she talks about this later in her life being like, it was many years of my life that I lived in that kind of an energy space and it really screwed with like my confidence and like identity you know if you're if you're like a young girl and you're being told that like looking in a mirror is criminal then you're being told that like seeing yourself right. appreciating who you are like the physical aspect of you is a bad thing that has to fuck with your self-esteem so this was a weird time Eventually, the mother and the stepdad did move back to New York. So they were back in the mix again. And when Lucy was 12 years old, her stepfather had encouraged her to audition for his Shiners organization, which was in need of entertainers for their next show. So I was like, what's a Shiners organization? So I like Googled it to be like, I need to know what this is. It's basically... 
Um, well, first of all, the Shiners, the name for this organization, is formally known as, quote, Ancient Arabic Order of the Nobles of the Mystic Shine. And they're like a Masonic society, which was established in 1870. So they were like the Masons. Have you like heard of the Masons before? Yes. So it's like, I think it's like, for the most part, like a big fraternity of weird dudes. Just bros bro like, Yeah, doing like underground shit, like calling meetings. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, like what the exactly. Fuck do you even meet about? I don't know. Like, bro shit. It was like the literal original fraternity. So he was part of this world. Like, I'm telling you, he was a weird dude. His parents were weird. It's probably some weird Puritan shit. I don't know. Um, but. Oddly enough, which I thought this was strange, like for her to like for his parents to like shame Lucy for looking in a mirror, I found it unusual that he would then like offer her up to audition to entertain the fraternity. Right. Like that's weird. <laughs> Isn't that opposite? Like, why would you want the 12 year old dancing in front of a room of dudes? I'm not sure, especially if she's if she's told she can't even look in a mirror. I don't know. Sounds strange. So strange. Very unusual. Um, she auditioned. She got the part. And she realized that entertaining was a fantastic way for her to gain praise and recognition, which I feel like was a breath of fresh air coming from many years of living under the roof of people that shamed her for looking in a mirror. Yeah. It's like one extreme to the other. Right? Exactly. So, um, like I had said, like, her childhood wasn't that, it was a weird childhood. It was a weird childhood from, like, the loss of her father to this weird step-parent situation. And then something even more strange happened. So, Lucy and her stepdad ended up losing, like, all of their money in 1920, or a little bit before, somewhat, sometime in the 1920s, out of a freak, like, a total freak accident. So at their home, wherever they lived in Jamestown, New York, um, her, her, like, they were at the house and, like, a, one of the neighbor boys was, like, hanging out or whatever, like, coming over, like, probably as people did back in the 1920s, you know, kids at each other's houses and shit, just another what day. What else was there to do? Right. And so somehow, like, this kid ended up getting shot <laughs> because... I think on their property, they were, like, doing shooting practice. Jesus. And the little kid, like, got in the way, or I don't know totally what happened, but he got shot. He didn't die, but he was paralyzed from his gun wound. And because this incident happened on Lucy's parents' property, they ended up getting sued like a motherfucker. And all of their money went down the drain towards this lawsuit. So... They, like, lost – and, like, I don't think the stepdad or anybody shot the kid. I think he, like, probably had his fucking frat boys over and they were, like, shooting practice in the backyard or something and the kid got hit and, like, got fucked. That is crazy. Yes. So, in addition to, like, all the other weirdness, they ended up, like, in a period of time living in pretty bad poverty. Like, they were not doing well financially and, like, times were very tough for them because of this tragic situation that occurred. So – weird weird things happening in her childhood and so then as she got older in 1925 at around 14 years old she started dating a guy he's described as a hoodlum in my research his name is johnny devito (laughs) i kind of 
<laughs> Sounds like a hoodlum, to be honest. He truly does. <laughs> and he was 21. She oh. was 14. Oh. So she was hanging around with Johnny DeVito, and her mom was pissed. And to be honest, like, I'm not surprised she's hanging out with Johnny DeVito. She's right. like, this fucking hellhole I've been exposed to. Like, I feel like that happens a lot to young people when they're around this age if all they've ever known is like instability tragedy like uncertainty like lack of security yeah you know you meet people around your age who bring you comfort and friendship and support you 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 wander off and that's what you do and you're now at an age where you're like thinking for yourself and like finding like your identity and your voice and your purpose so you're kind of like sucks to suck fools i'm off with johnny devito So she was, like, off with Johnny DeVito. Her mom was pissed. She did, like, everything she could to, like, break up this, like, little fling that was happening. Uh, Lucy said, fuck you. I'm going to date Johnny if I want. And so that was, like, going on for a while. Lucy's mom decided to, like, find out. Like, she was, like, thinking harder and stronger. Like, how can I literally split her away from this, like, hoodlum dude? So she pretty much decided to like exploit Lucy's desire to be in show business and even though the family had like no money at this time like suffering financially like no other she enrolled Lucy into the John Murray Anderson School for the Dramatic Arts which was in like a different part of New York and shipped her off and was like you're going to acting school She's like, I will get every penny I have to yeah. send your ass up out yes. of here. <laughs> yes, that's what she did. And like scrounging pennies literally to do it. And when Lucy arrived, she discovered upon her arrival that one of her fellow students was Betty Davis, which was another like huge like movie star at the time. And so she was kind of like, oh, my God, I'm like fucking at school with Betty Davis. Like like who am i i'm like i'm not shit and this this girl is already like making moves in the industry so she was like really nervous about her first experience into like this like showbiz environment and she didn't do so well in school she was tongue-tied she was nervous she felt out of place i feel like it was like the 19 30s version of imposter syndrome where she's like what the fuck's going on i'm sitting next to betty davis at an acting school my mom just shipped me out here like what none of this is like i don't know what i'm doing here this is stupid and so she like didn't do well at the school to the point that like the uh principal or whoever called her mom was like get your fucking daughter out of here she doesn't like she's not talented like she can't she's not making the cut like it's not working out And they told her so many times, like, you fucking suck. You're never going to make it in show business. Like, you don't belong here. So she got, like, beaten over and over with, like, every horrible thing that she could ever hear about, like, her worth in the movie industry. And she was even quoted to say that all I learned in drama school was how to be frightened. Oh, my gosh. That's so traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but she was super determined to teach her, uh, to prove her teachers wrong. And so in 1927, Lucy ended up landing her first gig working as a model, which I feel like, uh, Betty White also got into modeling, like in the beginning stages. And, um, at this time she was going by the stage name, Diane Belmont. No idea why. 
that was what she like called herself for like a period of time like when she kickstarted her like entertainment like gig seal is so much better i know right not diane like, <laughs> like belmont um and this was when a uh, period of time where she dyed her hair be- bleach blonde and she was like basically trying to make like an image for herself blonde hair diane belmont like let's like m- create a character out of me was um, her and hair she- always red like no it's brown she's not a redhead in my brain she's just a little fiery redheaded woman i have no idea yeah, so she dyed her hair red when she started the I Love Lucy show. Huh. Yeah. Uh, I think she's originally a brunette. She became a blonde, and then she ended up a redhead. So, yeah. So, while she was modeling and had her blonde hair and was living as Diane Belmont, she also started modeling for Chesterfield Cigarettes, which I think was, like, a big marketing campaign at the time. So, like, she was kind of getting her image out there. And then she uh, eventually in 1930s, so like a couple years after this, she moved from New York to Hollywood in hopes of pursuing acting opportunities. Um, and it paid off. So soon after she arrived, she ended up um, getting like landing a role as one of the 12 Goldwyn girls to promote the 1933 Eddie Cantor flick Roman scandal. So I think like some kind of like movie thing that was happening. She also landed a role as an extra in the Ritz brothers film, the three Musketeers, which is pretty cool. And then in 1937, she also got a pretty good role in a movie called the stage door, which also starred Catherine Hepburn and ginger, ginger Rogers, huge Hollywood icons at the time massive but all throughout this like movie thing she was never the leading lady she was always like another character or a background woman like she just she wasn't the Catherine Hepburn or the Ginger Rogers and and that's fine to like kickstart your movie career that way you know like it's not like a lose to be alongside those two icons but she just was like trying and trying and trying and like never getting the big gigs um but she eventually throughout her whole career appeared in 72 movies and it included um a string of like second tier films in the 1940s which ended up landing her the unofficial title as the queen of b movies which is literally like was like a running joke about lucille ball before the i love lucy show like she was like the b girl that is so mean yeah and i mean she was like she never was able to get the leading roles really she was a queen right (laughs) and you know what there was something that you had said in betty white's story that like triggered me with this story is that like i think one of the first things that you brought about in her career was somebody telling her like she didn't have the look or she didn't have something she wasn't pretty enough to be on TV. There we go. And Lucille experiences this many times, many, many, many times. And like one thing that I think is like one thing that inspires me about that is that they did fucking make it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not only did they make it, they ruled the fucking world. Mm-hmm. They are icons that will never be forgotten. Yeah, never. And it's like for people like us who are listening right now who have been rejected or told we're not good enough or we're never going to make it great that's what they said to betty white and lucille ball so it's just like you know what we can never take what we hear as guaranteed fact no never. because that's just some bullshit coming out of someone's mouth 
So she was the queen of B-movies. That's what she was known as in Hollywood. So one of her earliest movies was called Dance Girl Dance, and it introduced her to a handsome Cuban band leader named Desi Arnaz. And the two appeared together in this movie. Um, Also, they appeared in a different movie called Too Many Girls. And before the year, like, had ended, or I guess their time together doing all these movies ended, they fell madly in love with one another, and they eloped the same year that they met. Oh, my gosh. Do you know much about Desi Arnaz? No. What do you think about, like, what do you, like, just right off the bat, like, what are your first thoughts about Desi Arnaz, a.k.a. Ricky? I thought he was a dick. Really? Like, I think that's I feel like that's what I've picked up on is that like he wasn't very good to her. He wasn't. But you know what? I I didn't know that. I don't know, I know where that. I don't know where I heard that from. And like I don't know. I don't I, that's so weird because like on I Love Lucy they had like this cute like relationship but I felt like I heard somewhere in real life like it was never like that at all. It wasn't. Oh. It wasn't. And, but I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this. Lots of them. (laughs) Because I don't actually hate Desi Arnaz. Yeah. I don't hate the guy. I think that, like, you know how, like, in Facebook you can say that your relationship, like, it's complicated? Yeah. I feel like that was them. (laughs) I don't hate Desi Arnaz. I think he fucked up and there were things about him that were not perfect. I also think that he did a lot of good things. And I think that he brought a lot of positivity to Lucille Ball's life. And I think that if he wasn't ever in her life, she might not be where she was Mm -hmm. in her career because he was one of her biggest motherfucking supporters. Yeah. Like that that. fool rallied for Lucy. I love that. He was like, we're writing it dawn if anybody has an issue with my wife. (laughs) He also was a cheater. So it's very like, it's like I... I don't know how to feel about the guy because I think he made some bad mistakes. Mm -hmm. But I also think that, like, I mean, the amount of love and support he had for this woman is cannot be ignored. And, like, it it needs to be acknowledged as, like, one of his great features as a husband. He was so good, like, for her career, but maybe not for, like, her personal or, like, her mental. Yes. Feel that. Yes. So, a little about them. So, um... Desi was a lot different from the men that she normally dated. She normally was into older men, which she'd like historically dated older dudes. But he was only 23 years old at the time that she met him, which was six years younger than herself. Oh, okay. Yes. So she was like the coog in the relationship. And at the time that she met him, he was also known for being a ladies man. It was his reputation. He was the fuck boy. She she knew what she was getting into. She knew exactly what she was getting into. There was never a any indication that he wasn't exactly as he presented himself. So that's also why I'm kind of like can't totally hate the dude because he he never he was exactly as he was from the day he met her till the day they weren't together anymore but they had this undeniable bond they were so attracted to one another there was like the sexual chemistry that could not be denied it was like fucking fireworks just taking off 24 7 between the two of them 
Um, And like I already said, they were so supportive of each other in their careers, which I think is a very incredible quality for a man to have in this time period. He, like I said, was her ride or die. He fucking went to war for this lady to make sure that she felt confident that she had a voice, that any time anybody in the industry challenged her opinions, whether they were creative, comedic, whatever, he showed up and was like, what, what do we got to say about it? Like, he was her backbone and like she needed that. She really did need that. And he he never hesitated for one second to not play that role in her life. And so they had this like incredible bond because she knew that she could rely on him. She was like, this is my writer fucking die. This guy has my back. Like he's exactly what I need. But he was also a little shady on the sides. And like there was a lot of heartbreak, jealousy, mistrust, betrayal that was a common thing in their marriage. And so, like I kind of already said, he was like your typical Latin man, mischismo, rico suave, slick, had the one-liners, you know, the wearing the suit with the slick back hair, all the ladies were like, ooh, ooh, ah, ah. He was also a musician. He had a very successful, like, band, mm-hmm. and his regular job was performing at at nightclubs and at restaurants and da, da, da. And back then, there was no 1.30 a.m. last call. The bands rolled till 4 a.m. So he was out all fucking night long smoking cigars. She was at home in bed because she had like 6 a.m. makeup and rehearsals for what she had going on in her movie career. So like they were together. They had very different schedules, very different lifestyles, but both successful and talented in their own categories of which they were working. But it caused a lot of stress for her because he'd come rolling through the door at 5 a.m. smelling like perfume, drunk as hell. You know, where were you at? Why are you just getting home? Oh, we're just smoking with the boys. Like, you know, the whole fucking story. Like, what? how many girls today hear the same story? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, if you're not rolling your eyes at this dude, like, you're naive. Because we know men like this today. (laughs) Too many. There's most of them. (laughs) Like, same shit. So... Another thing that I think is important to note is Lucy was approaching her 40s. Right. Desi was a young, hot thing. So she's also kind of, like, feeling a little insecure. Mm -hmm. Like, he's going to leave me because I'm older. Like, you know, he can get any young girl. There are millions of them at the club drooling over him while he's performing. I'm not even there because I can't even be there. I have to be at work at fucking 5 a.m. So it it just, like, created a lot of stress, which is completely understandable. I'd be the same fucking way. Uh, yes. Things were not going that well. In any case, they continued to be together. They just carried on with their marriage because they had eloped like in the first year. So Lucy's movie star career was kind of stagnant, like not taking off like rapid fire, kind of like I feel like uh, Betty White's also was like, eh, like kind of here and there with that. Um, but Desi what uh, ended up saying like, hey, OK, the acting isn't like going as well as we'd hoped. Why don't you get into broadcasting? Which <laughs> is just like what Betty White did radio. Yes. And so that was kind of a common thing that people did if the Hollywood star act wasn't like panning out to be like Ginger Rogers status. And so if it wasn't, which it wasn't for what they called the Queen of B movies, second tier to that would be becoming a radio personality. And that was very, very common during this time period. And also actually a really successful career 
opportunity because yeah. we saw it worked out for both the women we're talking about today. So he was the one that was like put that idea in her head and like kind of like you know empowered her to like start exploring other avenues of entertainment and she went for it and she landed herself a lead part in a radio comedy that was called My Favorite Husband which turned out to be a huge success. Now this was cool because when they filmed these radio comedies it was they were kind of acting on a stage but it was only being recorded like as a broadcast there was no film but there were people in the stands so people would come and watch the radio broadcast so they could see lucy and they could see the other actors and they were doing their their skits but it was only being recorded for radio purposes but there still was an audience they got to watch it so there was organic laughter that was happening in the background um so yeah super cool kind of like how i imagine like Oprah or Ellen like those shows that like where they're doing talk shows but there's an audience kind of yeah. like that uh-huh. um so that's that's like what this was and so she like landed the role for it um it went live in 1948 and um it was so good and such a hit that they were like we have to make this our regular show now so it became the regular show and uh it was produced through uh CBS and they ended up doing a total of 124 episodes airing from 1943 to 1951 but a year prior to its ending in 1950 CBS started thinking about why can't we make this television show like this is so good like people are eating this shit up Lucy is fucking hilarious she's so like uh like her energy on the stage was such a vision, but no one could see it unless you were sitting in that room. And they were like, this, like, we have to show the world what we're all witnessing every day that we produce this broadcast. Right. Like it's, she would absolutely it's a kill gem. It. Yeah. And so they were like, we have to make this a television series. So they basically go to her pitching the idea. And the original idea was that her and that her on-screen husband for my favorite husband, which was a man named Richard Dennings. They both would star as the co-leaders or actors in the television show. And Lucy was like, I love the idea. This is fucking phenomenal. I want to do it. But I will not perform with Richard Dennings as my on-screen husband. I will only perform with my actual husband on screen. (laughs) That's a way to get him to stop doing whatever he's doing. Right? 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 So there were a couple of things that were happening here. One, Lucy knew that her marriage wasn't ideal, that there were a lot of things that were happening that were causing a lot of chaos and tension, especially because he was constantly out doing these bands and staying out late and da da da. So part of the strategy here was pitching him as the actor so that they that she could have a closer eye on him for one. That they would be spending more time together, which they never were, because he was a night guy, she was an all-day girl. So they're, like, ships passing in the night. And so she thought, this could really help our marriage, actually. We can finally be together. We can spend more time together. We can collaborate together. We can be creative together. And we can go to work and go home together. And so she was looking at it as this huge, like, great opportunity to improve the problems that they were dealing with in their marriage, And so that's what she pitched. But not all that. But she was like, I will only perform with my husband. And they, CBS was like, are you high? We will not have a American white woman on television with a Cuban man married in a relationship. 
absolutely not. And she's like, well, we literally are married in a relationship. Like, that's actually what's happening here in our lives. Like, what do you mean? They were like, there's no way we can do this. The public will be absolutely outraged. There's no chance, no chance we could have an interracial couple on television. No way. And she was like, then I'm out. And basically stole their idea. Her and Desi took off on the road together, performed like a variation of what would later become I Love Lucy in a vaudeville act going town to town. They got like little side actors to, like play other roles and they put on a show like a circus. That is so cool. <laughs> and did it. And she basically played her role that we love, this like zany housewife and this like annoying Cuban husband. And they did this act and people loved it. Yeah, it was a raging success to the point that like CBS was like, whoops. Well, okay, fine. It turns out that people don't hate you guys as a married couple. So we're willing to bring you back on television and do the show. So they basically were in like a power play right now. And we're like, perfect. Well, now that we know we're in control, we'll come back and do this show for you. And we'll basically be running the production process. And that's kind of what they did. Like Lucy and her husband, Desi, were not just actors in I Live Lucy. They were running the fucking show. They were writing scripts. They were writing the jokes. They were popping off to the producers saying, no, we won't do that. We're doing it this way. Like, they were running shit. That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, I Love Lucy was born. And so from the very beginning, like I kind of already mentioned, Lucy Lucy and Desi, they knew from the get-go what they wanted out of this career choice. And their demands included a variety of different things. They wanted to create the program in Hollywood rather than New York, which I think was something also Betty White dealt with, where she didn't want to be in New York. She wanted to be in L.A. And then, like, the biggest hurdle that they had to deal with was, and this I'm a little confused about, um, but they wanted to shoot film rather than the less expensive option, which was called Kinescope. CBS wanted them to do Kinescope, but it was like a cheaper, shittier way to produce television. And Lucy and her husband were like, we're not doing garbage shit. Like, this is our show. We're not going to produce lower quality bullshit. And CBS was like, well, it's too expensive for us to actually produce real film. And they were like, well, how much more expensive is it? And they like gave them a price. And both Lucy and Desi were like, you can deduct it from our salary. Well, we're we're only going to do the highest, finest quality of production possible. And if it's too expensive for you, you can deduct that out of both of our paychecks. We're cool. (laughs) Which I think is also just like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Like it shows, it just shows that they had like such an art and a craft that like they weren't here to just be like celebrities. They were literally trying to create a art and they weren't going to be cutting corners on in that, you know, no, at she all. She was like, go fuck yourself. I'm doing this. Yeah. So that's super cool. So they ended up, um, oh, in addition to this, they retained full ownership rights to the program. So they once they agreed to take a pay cut in order to create real film, they then like signed a contract that was like, we actually now own all of this. <laughs> 
And so they owned it. They like bought it. Like it was theirs. And then because they bought it, they started their own production company called Desilu Productions, which is like half of their names, Desi yeah. and Lou. Yeah. Desilu Productions. And it was running under Desilu Productions. Okay. So, so like I'm telling you, power fucking couple. Yeah. Like see power what I'm saying? Couple, like power moves. Desi was that. like a fucking little like, you know, fuck boy. But I'm just, like, I got to give it to, like, that they really did have, like, a strong fucking dynamic. They were each other's ride or dies. They were incredible business partners. They were both smart and talented in their own ways. And they had, like, major boundaries and stubbornness that got them as far as they made it. So, like, uh, Lucy is a queen, but I also think that, like, she really did have an incredible situation here with Desi. And they really were powerful as a couple like i don't think they would have been as strong separated i think the two of them together was just like fierce as fuck (laughs) yeah that is so fascinating super cool so october 15th 1951 i love lucy made its debut out into the television world and um it took off like no sitcom had ever taken off before the program was so popular because it included storylines that had never been discussed, including marital issues, women in the workplace, suburban living, and also an interracial marriage. So there was just like a lot of different dynamics that were happening that like weren't really being put out yet uh, in this capacity. And so here's another big like groundbreaking fiasco that occurred in the I Love Lucy world. At 40 years old, Lucy became pregnant with her second child. So her and Desi had already had one child, which, like, all the research I did, like, skated by it. There was no, like, big, like, Lucy gave birth to her baby. It, like, it wasn't a thing. And, like, no one cared (laughs) until her second kid came around because it caused such a fiasco with the actual production of I Love Lucy. So she, like, got pregnant. She had to, like, tell the production team, like, I'm pregnant. And they were, like, great. How the fuck are we going to deal with this on the show? Like, fuck, this is right. such a fucking, like, inconvenience. God damn it. Like, we're going to have to feature you, like, holding a plant in, like, a laundry basket. And, like, we're going to have to figure out how to make this show happen with, like, us hiding the fact that you are pregnant. Okay. And she was basically like, why would we have to hide it? Right. Lucy is a housewife married to Ricky. The show is about a marriage in a household wouldn't we have a baby (laughs) like wouldn't we get pregnant and have a child like isn't that normal and they were like how dare you even insinuate that we could ever ever show a woman pregnant on television like the audacity that you would even suggest that that would even be possible the world will hate us if we show you pregnant like what the actual fuck So this is another situation where Desi basically said, fuck all of you. We will be having this baby on television. There's nothing you're going to fucking say about it. So he's like popping off to the producers of the show. And they're basically like, well, this is our initial response. But CBS gets the last say. CBS is in charge of the network. We have to run it by them. So then Desi has to pop off at CBS. Lucy, too. They're all popping off. CBS is like, hell no, never. It won't happen. It's not possible. The world would go crazy. It's a huge war, a huge fucking war. Eventually they win. They win the war and they get to have Lucy be pregnant on Lila of Lucy. So she's experiencing her real life pregnancy and also portraying it as the actor in her show. 
And the craziest thing ever is that the day that the episode of Lucy giving birth airs out into the world is the exact day that Lucy gives birth in real life. What? (laughs) She ends up going into labor on the same day that her character gives birth. Isn't that hilarious? That is. That's so funny. Yeah, so it was January 19th, 1953 that Lucy delivered her son, Desi. Also, some weird, weird, weird side note. She had two kids, a girl and a boy. Their names were Lucy and Desi. (laughs) (laughs) So her daughter was a junior? And yes, Lucy Jr., Desi Jr. Isn't that like kind of (laughs) strange? That is so funny. Yeah, so mommy and daddy named their daughter and son the same names as mommy and daddy. (laughs) But kind of weird. Kind of weird. So weird. Yeah. So I Love Lucy went on to run for six years. Um, She was just killing the fucking game. Her genius did not go unrecognized. For four of its seasons, the sitcom was the number one show in the entire country. Um, now, although the show was an absolute success, Lucy and Desi's marriage did not improve with no surprise because Desi wasn't going to change anything about himself. And that was the problem. And she felt really lonely in her marriage, super lonely, just like they were business partners, best friends. But like there was this other aspect of her knowing he was cheating and him being like, I'm not cheating, babe, I swear. And that just never ended. And so... Basically, she caught him cheating. So it was March 3rd, 1960. She filed for divorce. It was one day after Desi's 43rd birthday. And she went to the courts, Santa Monica courts, and filed for divorce and told the courts that married life to Desi was an absolute nightmare. And it was nothing at all as it appeared on I Love Lucy. Oh. They divorced. And... Although they divorced, they remained very close friends for the remainder of their lives, which isn't surprising. Like I said, they had a bond that, like, could never be destroyed. Um, And although her real... Okay, and this is the most annoying part to me, is that everybody knew she divorced Desi. The divorce happened. So at this point, too, I Love Lucy was over. Like, the show had ended. So any acting roles, movie roles that she got after that point in time, she was only casted as a unmarried widowed woman jesus as like because she was actually divorced in real life she never got like any other role other than being unmarried or widowed after that damn (laughs) isn't that fucking rude that is so rude (laughs) even though you were married for 10 years you can't pretend like you ever could experience it that is so fucked up. I almost feel like it's punishment. Like, yeah. because she was on this I Love Lucy show where the entire premise of the show was this incredible American family and this yeah. marriage and, like, how hilarious they were and in love they were. And then they divorced. And I feel like Hollywood was like, well, you're tarnished for life. You have the scarlet letter. You'll only be unmarried or widowed forever in Hollywood. So after her divorce, she went on to marry another comedian or a different comedian guy named Gary Morton. And she ended up buying out her ex-husband, Desi, from the production company that they owned together, the Desi Lou Productions. She bought him out and owned the whole thing on her own. So she was like, adios, you're out. It's my company now. And that choice that she made ended up making her the first woman to run a major television production studio 
in history. And then she eventually sold that in 1967 and she made $17 million selling selling the production studio, right? So after all of this, she continued to try and do more acting, kind of like Betty White. She did so many different spinoffs of like the I Love Lucy show, the this show, the that show. She like did thousands of them. And like none of them ever amounted to the original, which isn't surprising. That is what happens. But also it's because there was no Desi in any of them. And it was hard to have I Love Lucy without Desi. And like she wasn't going to have Desi like keep being like the actor in the fucking shows. Like they were divorced and like shit hit the fan. So it kind of like things fizzled out with her. And um, in 1971, she became the first woman to receive the International Radio and Television Society's gold medal. In addition, there were four Emmys um, where she was inducted into like the Television Hall of Fame. And she was also recognized for her life's work for the Kennedy Center of the Performing Arts. And then in, like, 1986, she debuted a new CBS sitcom called Life with Lucy. Again, another, like, thousandth spinoff. But um, the program earned, like, $2.3 million. But, like, there wasn't a big audience that was really watching it. And it ended up being canceled after only eight episodes. So, like, not that cool. And then, like, a couple years after that, on April 18th in 1989... Lucy complained of chest pain at her home in Beverly Hills, and she was taken to the hospital where she was diagnosed with a dissecting aortic aneurysm, and she underwent underwent surgery to repair her aorta and a successful seven-hour aorta, (laughs) it's so hard to say, a seven-hour aortic valve replacement took place, and then on April 26, so like a week later in 1989, Lucy awoke with severe back pain and then she lost consciousness and she died at 546 a.m. at only 77 years old. So in my head, Lucy died like old as shit. I don't know. Like she died old, but to me, I feel like she died in like the 50s. You know what I mean? She died the year we were born, but still too young. I mean, she was older than Betty White and died years before Betty White, 20 years before Betty White. Yeah. So to wrap up, Lucille Ball was the recipient of so many tributes, honors, awards throughout her entire career, as well as posthumously. After she died, she received her own Lucille Ball Desi Arnaz Museum and Center for Comedy, (laughs) which was in her hometown of Jamestown, New York. So like that exists. And then there's like a little theater that was also renamed Lucille Ball Little Theater in her honor. So those are out there like celebrating her life. And the street that she was born on was renamed Lucy Street, which is so cute. Um, And she was also uh, among Time Magazine's 100 Most Important People of the Country. And then on August uh, 2001, the United States Postal Service honored what would have been her 90th birthday with a postage stamp um, of her, which is so cool. It was like part of their like Legends of Hollywood series. So super cute. And um, overall, she appeared on 39 covers of TV Guide, which like, do you remember TV Guides? Girl, yes. I used to get so excited when the TV Guide would come. 
if we have any like Gen Zers, they're not gonna know what we're talking about. What the fuck is a TV guide? There was like a little magazine, like a newspaper magazine, right? That showed up, and you got to see like what what was coming on on TV, like Monday through Sunday, and it would be like broken out by like hours of the day, and then you'd be like the show in like a little calendar block. So, yeah, she appeared on the cover 39 times, which was more than any other person had ever been featured. And that was, again, something that lived in everyone's house. Like, that was on your fucking table, like, your front table. So, like, that's how famous this woman was. She was sitting on the table in front of everyone's TV every day. She, uh, TV Guide, the same thing, (laughs) voted her as the greatest TV star of all time. I don't even remember the TV Guide, like, being its own thing. Like, I don't remember it being, like, such a... Like, for the fact that it could vote, like... Yeah, well, like, there was, like... <laughs> it was, like, a legit magazine, and, like, there were, like, yeah, articles so. in it. Yeah, I guess so. I kind of don't remember what else was in it other than the, like, schedule. I vividly remember, because my grandma always had them. They used to be in black and white for a long yes. time, but then they were in color, like a damn People magazine. See, I only remember them black and white. I need to... We need to find a vintage TV guide somewhere and buy it. I know. It. Yeah. So, yeah, they voted her as the greatest TV star of all time, and it later commemorated the 50th anniversary of I Love Lucy with eight collector covers celebrating memorable scenes from the show. Oh, my gosh. That is awesome. So sweet. So, yeah, she's great. And just to end on a couple of notes, well, first off, one that absolutely breaks my heart. This was a quote that she expressed to whoever she was talking to, but it's about her ex-husband, Desi. It was in a letter that he had written her right before he died. He died like six years before she did, by the way. Oh, wow. And he was six years younger than her. That's sad. I know. Well, he was a party boy. Like, again, I'm saying like lifestyle might catch up. Like, they were smoking and raging and drinking and fucking. Like, it was all the things. (laughs) Truly. Like I said, he was out till 4 a.m. every night. It was like the norm. Like, I think lifestyle catches up with you. Um, But right before he died, he'd written her a letter and he wrote... P.S. This is how he ended the letter. P.S. I Love Lucy was never just a title. That's so sad. That's so sad. He really did love her. He did. That's why I'm saying, like, I feel conflicted with my Desi feelings. Yeah. Yeah. He did love her, but he was a dick. He needed to be in therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. They needed to have couples therapy and, like, talk about it. Yeah. And then another quote from her that I love that I think is hilarious is, my idea of getting high was a Coca-Cola and an aspirin. <laughs> Me too, Which, sis. like, wasn't Coca-Cola actually dosed with Coke back then? So, like, probably. maybe we're getting yeah. high. Yeah. She probably was. And then another thing she said that I loved was, I like being an innovator, but people told us we were crazy, that we were committing career suicide. I didn't listen. I liked creating a show from scratch, which was like her talking about I Love Lucy because everyone was constantly popping off about like they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. Um, And then one last quote, she said, I am not funny. What I am is brave. Oh, that's so true. So anyway, that's my my Lucille Ball. And I feel like, again, I felt like she was the only person that could ever sit alongside Betty White. That was such a good, (laughs) good compare like both of them together was so good 
Well, yeah, and they lived in the same time period. They followed the same path. They were friends. They faced a lot of the same challenges. They both became massive female staples in their industry. I hope they're up in heaven just cracking all the fucking jokes. Right? That was so good. So cool. So, yeah, high five to our queens of comedy. Hell yeah. Betty White, Lucille Ball. Icons. Truly icons. All right. Well, that's it. That's it for today's app. Woohoo. Killed it. Woohoo. Killed it. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed learning more about Betty and Lucy. What queens, what angel babies, and how cool is it that they were friends in real life? If you haven't done so yet, please be sure to subscribe to this show on whatever podcast platform you love so that you can make sure that you never miss another episode again. And if you've gotten some value from this podcast over the past couple of years and it's really brought joy and happiness to your life, please consider leaving me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It's one of the easiest, quickest, and best ways that you can support this show and really help us grow in this super wild, chaotic, and jam-packed podcast industry. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. I am so excited to be back, and I appreciate you more than you know. See you next time. Bye.